So alcohol is a drug. And I think it's a ridiculous thing that we just kind of put out in the world that it's normal. It's okay. You should accept my drinking. You should accept the fact that I want to be effed up and on drugs. It is a drug. I'm going to call it a drug because it is all the time. That is not normal behavior. And you shouldn't feel like you're crazy for telling someone it's not okay to be on drugs all the time. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Paige. And I'm Matt. And your cadence was just a little bit off there, but we can work on it. I'll show you. Okay, thanks. I think it's still pretty solid. Like if I'm giving gymnastics score here, I'm saying that's like, uh, that that one's like a seven, one, no, six, <laughs> 6.9, 6. 6.8, 6.8. <laughs> okay, well... You usually do the intro, and this time I wanted to change it up. She, a bit. she goes, "Can I do the intro?" I'm like, "Yeah, I don't care." It's I know fine. it's not nearly as good as yours. So you have that's like- not true. It's just that what people hear over and over, and it just becomes like a, a comfort bias. Okay, well, this is a different episode, so that's why I wanted to do it. This is in between episodes. We're doing a special one based on TikTok questions. Yeah, this is cool. So we reached out to. We have got an audience that's big enough now where we can say, "What questions do you guys have?" Because it's weird being like a content creator, a podcaster, any kind of content creator, I guess. But you're talking to an audience and you're not 100% sure if you're even talking about things that's, that are relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of times, it feels like you're just walking around with your eyes closed in the dark and you're like, can you guys hear me? Is this is this helping? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been, but it's really cool when you get an audience big enough where they can reach out. So we took just a handful of the the questions that we got from that from that post and the TikTok's actually been really lit and I wasn't so sure about TikTok in the beginning. You're not supposed to say lit if you're over 35 years old, dear. Man, I come from I come from the streets. I can say what I want. It's <laughs> so true. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yes, TikTok has been lit. It's been great for us though. It's a, it's been a place where you get actually more feedback and interaction than anywhere else. Like Instagram is a place where people go to pretend that they're someone they're not. Facebook is a place where old people go to put inappropriate things on the internet <laughs> and TikTok has been a place where people will actually reach out and ask like sincere questions and i never i never thought that would be the case right yeah we were kind of on the uh we weren't going to get on TikTok. like we were not what is the word i'm looking for damn it i don't i don't know i don't know what you were looking for there <laughs> never mind all right let's just keep going resistant hesitant we were yeah, yeah we were hesitant thank you okay yeah. <laughs> got it thanks got it told you i can read your mind so damn true. It's true. All right. So we're going to go through some questions that people wanted us to answer. Um, if you don't, if you're not on our TikTok, it is mainly me discussing certain things um, of what it's like being with an addict or an alcoholic. It kind of turned into something different than we had our podcast. Yeah. And you, you do cover some other stuff there as well. Like you'll yes. cover relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Some, some good stuff. <clears throat> life stuff in general. Like you cover life stuff. Yeah. But how about I read the questions and then you take the answers, especially the ones that well, are, these are mostly these are directed We'll just go through you. them. Like some of them are, some of them are for you, but if you want to go ahead and Excuse start. me, I cleared my throat there. <clears throat> I don't know what's Let going on. Let me clear my throat. I forgot that. That's a good one. All right. Question one. <laughs> All right. How do I cope when he has actually started making progress after many years of trying? Can you rekindle hope and passion after years of resentment? Yes, as long as he is still trying and making living amends, as you like to say, right? Uh-huh. So it, 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 there is hope 
that passion and that you can get over the resentment, but it is going to take a long time. Give yourself some grace, have some patience. And if you want to hear more on forgiveness, we actually did an episode on forgiveness that can help you dig into this a little bit deeper. Yeah. The, so if you're hearing this on a Friday, like when this drops live, it would have been Wednesday, the previous episode. And if you've never heard us before and you just happen to land on this episode, just go to the one right before this Yeah, to get context. Yeah. Um, so can, yeah, give yourself grace and patience. Yeah. I, it, it is possible because I, it happened with us. I don't hold resentment anymore. I was going to say, um, I think that this question, like my heart goes out to this person because I'm, I'm imagining when this question is being asked, that could be off base here, but that this person is in a relationship with someone who's fresh out of rehab or they're just starting their recovery journey. And man, that is a weird time in life. Hell yeah. And I know how you feel and God bless you for hanging on and hanging in there. It does get better as long as they keep working toward it and you keep working toward it, yes. then it does get better. And like, if, if I had to get you to write down what you wanted out of life today and you both continue this journey five years from now, you would look back at that list and you would be like, wow, I've, I've gotten 10 times that stuff. Like, right. There's no limit. The sky is the limit to how great things can get when you're both working toward growth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it gets better. The passion comes back. The hope comes back. The world has color again. There's light in life. Like it, it's beautiful. It gets incredible. It yes. gets so much better, exponentially better. Right. Doesn't mean you won't have ups and downs still, but it gets in, gosh, so much better. Yep. Okay. Question two. This is actually a question for both of us. Do you both suffer from high anxiety stem from childhood? No. No, we don't. No. I do. Right. Matt has no anxiety. I think oh. the only time he ever had anxiety was when you took mushrooms. That one time was really bad. But honestly, like, okay, you you answer, then then I'll go. I'll, I'll I'll kind of provide some some color here. But yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I had I had anxiety as a child. I used to have these crazy stomach aches, and I realized as an adult that those were really it was really anxiety. I don't know necessarily where it came from, but yes, I have been an anxious person since I was a young child. Um, but I know for Matt, this is not the case. No, like anxiety, like I've, I think I've said it in an episode before. Like I, I did have an anxiety attack one time when I took too many mushrooms <laughs> and it was awful. It was horrible. It was actually the first time that I was able to talk to Paige about anxiety. Cause like with experience, do you remember that? And I was like, I am yes, so I sorry that. that you've ever felt that yeah. way. But I'd live with like a constant hum of anxiety now. And it usually revolves around career stuff, like work stuff, which is so silly to think about. Like anxiety is. But anxiety is a normal emotion. Everybody has anxiety. Totally. I, I didn't but have it growing up. High anxiety? Though. No. no. That's no, not. Like, like I had no problem like public speaking. I had no problem getting on a stage. I had no problem like. Trying new things. No. Getting out of your comfort zone. No. Like, no, he actually helped me with my anxiety once he understood what I was going through. Yeah. But no, neither. We didn't both. No, I've been very fortunate. We are complete opposites. Complete opposites. So if she's anxious, just pretty much bet that I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> okay. Uh, question three. My husband has been in recovery for a little less than a year. Congrats to him. But I feel like I'm definitely codependent because of how controlling I am. It's suffocating him now that he's good. And I'm still super nagging and control finances and don't give him breathing room. How do I let it go? Felt that. 
Talk about that. <laughs> um, basically, this is, I want to say kudos to you for having awareness that you know that you have a part in something and that you feel like you are codependent and you're still nagging and you feel like there is still a problem within whatever's going on in your relationship or within yourself. I would definitely encourage you to really look within you to focus on you find out what it is that's holding you back. You know, why are you nagging? Why do you um, feel like you still need to suffocate him? Because you, there's something going on within you. Do something for yourself, not focusing on him. I would imagine, and I know professionals would agree that some of this is habitual because you've been doing it for so long. Um, it's sort of like a learned habit. It's a learned behavior where you've had to watch someone for so long, feeling like you're responsible for their actions or what they will do and won't do. Boom. And then when they recover, it's sort of like, wait, that just stops all of a sudden. Right. And it doesn't, this doesn't work that way. No. Um, that's a process and it plays out over time. And I think the fact that you have awareness this early on puts you pretty far ahead of the game. Be proud of yourself and pat yourself on the back for that. And can, yeah, as, as Paige said, you know, there's, we've got, episodes on codependency. We've got guides on codependency, more TikTok videos than I can count on codependency and tons of tips and tricks and, and books. It's, very, and it's complex. It's not like, it it's not a quick fix. It's not something that I can tell you specifically how to let go. It's a process. Yeah. Uh, you don't just let it go. You don't just make the decision. All right, I'm done. It takes your time, awareness. Right? That's the first step. Yeah. And it's the willingness to actually look within you to make the changes necessary for you. Right. It's been a learned behavior over quite some time. And so, you know, be be gentle with yourself yep. and understand that. And he shouldn't be upset about it either because you wouldn't have these behaviors if he hadn't earned it. Right. Ooh. So it's an earned behavior on his part to some degree. Some of it was always there. Some of there it was always you, there. Right. Um, but some of it is also learned yep. and earned. Ooh, okay. Question number four. My favorite number. This is your favorite number. Mine's three, by the way. Opposites. Uh, will the addict eventually see the boundary not as a punishment? Hubby struggling with my boundary of not living with us until on the path of recovery. Yeah, you take that one. Okay. Will the addict eventually see this boundary, which is the boundary is not living with us until they're in recovery. And I think that that is a fair boundary from your standpoint. I think that it is not too much to ask of a partner someone who's living under your roof um, to not be using drugs and alcohol to excess. I don't think that that's, it's not a wild ask. It's really not. Um, and if this is what you need to do to protect yourself, I think that that's valid. And I think that that's fair. Will this addict eventually see this not as a punishment? So here's the thing about addiction in general, when you're in it, like when you're really in it and you're using actively, um, you don't really process things rationally, right? You're going to look outward and you're going to look at why is this someone else's fault before you look at your own part in these things. And it's really, really difficult. I know as an addict for, to take responsibility. So they will probably for quite some time blame you for this, tell you that you're evil and that you're cold and that you're ruthless and who knows what else, you know, probably say some really ugly things, but, um, I would stand firm that this isn't, this is not a huge ask, right? So, um, will they ever see it as not a punishment? You know, yes, most likely I can't say for sure, but most likely because we all have moments of clarity, even in addiction and use, like you're not, 
you're not high 24 seven. Like there are times when you will be sitting with your own feelings sober for a period of time. And I had these, I mean, I was, I was high most of the time or drunk most of the time. I mean, really honestly, maybe like an hour a day or something that I wasn't, didn't have like something actively in my system. If that, damn, if that, in those moments, life gets really tough because you don't have your, your substance to numb everything and you have to kind of sit with all this. And so I'd like to think that at some moment he's going to be sitting at a traffic light and thinking about where he's at right now in life and thinking about the fact that he can't drive home to his family. And the reason why is because he can't control his problem. And that's a really sombering and sobering feeling where you're like, Oh crap. In that moment, I think that they'll, they're more than likely to, to see it for what it really is, whether or not they ever give you the validation of that. Uh, I don't know. Only time can tell. I was waiting for that. Only time can tell, but, um, and honestly, it doesn't matter if they feel like it's a boundary or a punishment. And what matters is that you're doing it to protect yourself. Man, that was a perfect cherry on top. That's a, Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the perfect way to end that one, I think. Okay, question five. Is choosing not to live under the same roof too harsh of a boundary? Is it me giving up? Or am I right that it's for the best? So similar, um, but it's really about the severity of boundaries. And so I'd like for you to take this one, Paige. Well, I thought this is the one that you were going to go off on. Or is that the next one? I think this is the one I was going to go off on. It is. Yeah. So you go ahead and then I'll go off. Okay. Sis. Because I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to tell people how to set boundaries up. And that's kind of where a lot of us spouses struggle with this because they're like, is it too harsh? Is it not? Look at your values, y'all. You got to look at your values. If everything, if all of your values are being, you know, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot talk today. Try it again. Start over. If your values are being violated. Thank you. Cause I was going to say validated and it's like, that doesn't make sense. I got you, man. You're I'm so, the other half of I, your brain. High five baby. Let's go. Yes. If your <laughs> values are being vi- violated over and over again and you feel like this boundary is like too harsh, it's probably not too harsh. Honestly, like I don't think, no, it's not too much to ask. Once again, like it's not too much to ask. Like, depending on how it is in your home, like what is it? What's going on? Is it? I, I'm looking at this question as you saying, "Is it me giving up?" No, I don't think it's you giving up. I think it's you protecting yourself. So I, um, I've always looked at life and like the way that things are traditionally done, and I've always kind of like shot my middle fingers at that. And so I think probably what you're feeling here about like, is it me giving up? Is that like this thought that a husband and wife or partners have to live under the same roof? Okay. Why? Who made that rule? Show me where in the rule book that that's at. Show me what rule number that is, because that's, that's, there's, there's no rule that says that this giving up is equated with not living together. Absolutely not. Your relationship can look however you need it to look. It's your relationship. It doesn't need to look like Hollywood's version of it or your friend's version of it or anyone else's version of it. But once again, like it's not asking too much. And like, this is where I was going to go off on is that I think that the way that alcohol culturally is presented to us is that this is something that you should be doing. This is a drug that everyone should take. It is the only drug in existence that I'm aware of where you are criticized or questioned for not doing it. I have been sober for longer than I ever used. So I've had a lot of time to reflect on this and I'm not anti-alcohol by any means. Like I don't mind it. I have friends that love it and I will hang out with them while they drink. I will meet 
at bars for meetings. Like I will be around. It doesn't bother me. Smell of it doesn't bother me. It is not triggering for me. I don't care. I don't. But when I think about what it really is, it's it's an escape, it's a release. And for most adults, it's just about conviviality and enjoying the moment. Most adults can do that. But I have lost my privilege to chemical peace of mind. And I accepted that and I have no problem with it. What I do have a problem with is people that thinking that they are entitled to take drugs all the time because alcohol is a drug. And I think it's a ridiculous thing that we just kind of put out in the world that it's normal. It's okay. You should accept my drinking. You should accept the fact that I want to be effed up and on drugs. It is a drug. I'm going to call it a drug because it is all the time. That is not normal behavior. And you shouldn't feel like you're crazy for telling someone it's not okay to be on drugs all the time. And if that means that you don't want them under your roof, then great. That's fine. I think that's fair. At what point do we, as a society, do we become so weak that we have to put something in our bodies all the time to get by day to day. And that's coming from a drug addict. That's coming from someone who did this for 10 years of my life. Third of my life I spent doing this. Well, actually a quarter now. I'm like 40, so or close to Damn, it. Boo. But either I way, I love that passion. Either way, this is my opinion on this. This is where I'm at with it. I think that you should just stand firm in that. This is your relationship. It can look however you want it to look. And I think that you are entitled to live life with a partner that values and has the mental capacity and bandwidth and sobriety to value you for what you are. And if they can't do that, it says all you need to know about them. And a fucking story. Boom. That was. I would drop this mic, but it was kind of pricey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That was awesome. I'm going to go to the next one now. Let's go to the next one. (laughs) I can't um, add to that. Uh, Number six, what are some boundaries that you had with Matt while he was in active addiction? Um, Well, I didn't have anything that was... What's the second part, though? Read the second part so we don't have to go back to it. Matt, what boundaries did you find most impactful for you? So, two-part question. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead. I just wanted to make sure because otherwise it'd be like another question. Never mind, it's probably me being nitpicky. Go ahead, answer. You were just trying to control me. I'm trying to control it. That was messed up. I can't help it. Anyway, no. um, So I didn't like verbalize my boundaries technically. Um, I got to a point where I basically stopped nagging and I stopped really giving a shit. Um, Go ahead. And and I guess what I, the, the first boundary that I set was me deciding to live my life and make choices without him. Um, So I would go to my mom's. I would go enjoy other people's company without him. And I would leave him at home and to suffer and do whatever he wanted to do. And I got very indifferent with his actions. And I would just kind of sit back and just keep to myself unless it came to money. And I said, I started putting up boundaries with, uh, my ATM, your ATM withdrawals. Mm-hmm. So I There's would financial boundaries for sure. Yeah. I would start putting alerts on and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't have I didn't know about boundaries when he was actively using. These are just things that I started to do naturally. Um, and I'm going to let him tell y'all what he found most impactful. Yeah. Like as she kind of described just now, I think that you, you, you nailed it. Like at, at that point in our lives, um, there weren't a whole lot of like verbalized boundaries and that's partly due, I think to be the, 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 the fact that I was hiding my addiction and you weren't a hundred percent sure right. how much I was doing or if I was really doing it all the time yeah. or like it was like I said, I thought I was just married to a manipulative a-hole. asshole. Yeah. So. And, um, the other part of it is the fact that I was 
I was 26 years old when I got sober and at 26 years old, you can kind of hide some like party behavior, you know, like, yeah. Cause it was normal for us to party more yeah, than like, a 35 year old. Right. So at, at like 26, it's, and still in my opinion, probably a little late <laughs> to be partying. Oh, yeah, Cause and stuff I was like ready that. for it. You like had three, four up. years earlier. Well, I think that girls grow up faster than boys anyway, but you grew up like way faster than me. Yeah. But, um, for me, what I found the most impactful was when she started to detach from me and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to kind of keep her around and have her in my misery and like drink with me and smoke with me and do all those things. And she would look at me like, dude, like that's pathetic. Like I'm ready to grow up and I'm ready to kind of like live life and do things. And she didn't make any apologies for it either. She, she started to look at me with indifference and that's like the scariest thing in the world is like when your partner looks at you and they're just like sort of disappointed, but at the same time, they're like, man, I'm just, yeah, kind of done with you that. And then you would just go do your own thing. Like you would tell me for instance, Hey, we're going to my mom's on Sunday for dinner and I'd complain and bitch and moan. And a lot of times I could get you to cancel and stay at home with me and do what I wanted to do. And then, uh, you started just doing it on your own. You would start packing the bag. You wouldn't even say anything. You wouldn't be like, arguing with me you would just pack the stuff and then at five o'clock you would just be like all right well i'm leaving i'll see you and go yeah and i'd have to sit there in my filth and misery and sit with that and over time it really started to eat away at me uh, it was her way of saying i will be fine with or without you i will take care of myself if i have to i will do whatever i have to do but this is these are the things that we both at one time agreed to do in life and now in her own way she was kind of saying like whatever it is whatever it is going on with you this is not what we had talked about and I'm going to do me and you do you. Yep. That was the most effective was like living, living well is the best revenge. They say, you know, yeah, like living well is sometimes the best boundary as well. Right. Okay. Last one. How do you live with a functioning alcoholic with children? Dang. Yeah. So why don't you take this first? Yeah, This one's kind of hard because we haven't Sydney. Our oldest daughter was nine months old. Um, when Matt went to rehab. So we only had nine months of functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I have to say there were a lot of red flags whenever he would take Sydney to do something or stay up late with her or be around. Like I was not fully comfortable with him being with her. Um, But I don't think that we can talk too much on this. I mean, Matt can based on something, but like for us, we don't, I don't really know how to touch that one. Yeah. So like personal experiences, um, I wasn't a functioning alcoholic or drug addict for a very long time with kids. Thank God. Um, I wasn't, I was just, I'm lucky, lucky that I happened to figure it out then. But uh, I've got a really, really close friend who grew up in a home with functioning alcoholism and addiction. And I can think back like, so super close. We've talked about this a ton and processed a lot of issues about it and being raised with an alcoholic parent in an alcoholic home, or if you're listening and you come from that background, you know what it was like, you know what that's like, you know what it's like to have emotionally volatile and emotionally immature parents. Um, also what it's like to be around substance use and substance abuse. And 
how scary that feels as a kid and not at the same time being raised in it, you feel like it's just normal. And I think that's possibly the most dangerous thing that he and I've talked about was that it was, it was totally acceptable to get blasted on a Tuesday night. As long as you were at work the next morning and there was bank and there was money in the bank. That's all that mattered. It didn't matter what you said that night. It didn't matter how much you drank or where you drove while you were drinking or anything else. That's all that mattered. So it really normalizes the behavior. And since alcoholism and addiction have scientifically been shown to have a genetic component to them, you think about how dangerous that is for your children. So if you're living with someone who is an addict, there's a, there's a, likelihood that your children could carry the same thing and their environment could very well unlock it when they're around that person. So I can't speak from experience here. And so I'm not going to go on a limb and tell anyone what to do. I would just say, you have to be incredibly careful. And Mm -hmm. I think that boundaries are probably part of that conversation that I can't quite have. And I think that, um, yeah, it's incredibly complex too. Like, you know, we're talking about parents that both have a right to their children. Uh, but if it's not a safe environment, I think that that's a, probably a legal discussion, discussion. absolutely. Um, you know, and something that you're really going to have to process and and make some really tough decisions on. But I think that in my mind, my belief is there's no such thing as a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like saying that, you know, I have a truck with the blown motor and I get to work every, you know, fine every day. Like, no, you don't like you're taking Uber, like you own a vehicle, but it doesn't really work. Yeah. It's on a tow truck all the time. It doesn't make a difference. Like it's just, horrible example there, but it's just, what is the point? Like you're a functioning alcoholic, just be a functioning human. Yeah. Like there's no such thing as a functioning alcoholic. Like you can just think about someone who's a quote unquote functioning alcoholic, how much more productive and intimate and amazing and creative they could be if they weren't an alcoholic. So you can't say you're a functioning alcoholic. That's like, you know, that's like a, that's like the minor leagues, man. Like you're selling yourself short. You're selling your family short. You're selling your job short. You're selling everyone around you short because you choose this, this path in this life. And you know, I don't necessarily believe that whole term functioning alcoholic. I know it's a really popular thing. And I believed it for myself for some time too. Yeah. Because you can, because people think that alcoholics are the dude under the bridge with a paper bag. Mm -hmm. That's what people think alcoholics are. They think that they're homeless. They think, no, we're walking amongst you everywhere. Yeah. We're all over the place. We're your we're your bosses, we're your friends, we're your kids' teachers. There's tons, we're everywhere, all walks of life and we appear normal but we're dying on the inside. Yep. Some of them just don't know it yet. They just don't know it yet. But we're all selling ourselves short. If you're not able to experience your emotions from the beginning all the way to the end, that means that you're not processing, which means that you're not learning, which means you're not maturing. And over time, that will bite you in the ass and you won't be a functioning quote unquote alcoholic anymore. You will be the dude under the bridge. You will be the guy six feet under. You will be the guy in the institution. That's what happens when it's left unkept. So like to say you're a functioning alcoholic, it's like, are you kind of pregnant or are you pregnant? Yeah. You know, like, right. (laughs) Yeah. You're an alcoholic. Yeah. Just because you go to work. No, alcoholics go to work. Yeah. There's just, it's a spectrum. There are varying degrees of it. But at the end of the day, we all end up at the same place if we don't deal with it. Yep. You will, your life will end sooner than it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Point blank, man. So how do you live with one with children? <sighs> Incredibly carefully, I suppose. Yeah. It's really tough. This was fun. You did good. Did I? You're great at answering questions like on a whim. I don't know. Maybe it's a gift of mine. Yeah. 
Ask more us more questions. questions. I'd be more than happy is. to ask or answer questions about yeah. anything. Yeah. Anything. Yes. Relationship stuff, whatever. I so, got you. Yeah, that was our last question um, from what we pulled out. So. Yeah, that was a fun one. Okay. You want me to re- recap it and get it off? Yeah. You want to close this out here? Yeah. Apparently, I can't talk today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mama said there'd be days like this, right? <laughs> I have them <laughs> way too often. <laughs> you're awesome. I know what you're talking about. All right. So, uh, happenings you guys have heard, uh, in the last episode. Oh, you drew a picture of me. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my beard, my curly hair. <laughs> she drew a funny doodle of me. You should take it up there and show the camera. That's actually kind of funny. Anyway, I'll um, take a picture of it and post it. We've got, so if you have more questions about any of the stuff, you can reach us via social media. You can reach us via email and you can find all of those things at our website, www.tufo.com. That's T-W-F-O.com. You can find us there, reach out, ask questions on a personal basis, whatever you want. And we try to get to everybody as soon as we can. And so if I haven't gotten to you yet, or Paige hasn't gotten to you yet, we will, I promise. Yep. Um, check out old episodes. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. We've also got an awesome Facebook community now called Tufo Community. And um, you can get a chance to get in there and not just interact with us, but other wheelies, other people who are dealing with this stuff, other mm-hmm. people who are going through the same things and they have the same mindset that you're in right now, which is how do I get better? How do I grow? How do I get out of this crap that I'm in? Whatever it might be. We'd love to have you in there. Until next time, I am Matt. I am Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.